got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expenses, the wind is expensive. I got expenses, the wind is expensive. I've been reading all the work, I've been reading all the work, and I've been shutting down the stars. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, back in the driver's seat here. My name is Kevin Hill, <laughs> uh, here with Richie Dago as always. And we're, this is, of course, the freight sell show for closers. We talk about sales, everything there is uh, about sales, marketing, you know, products, everything. So, Richie, how are you? Yeah, welcome back. I did well, my very you. best to play Kevin last week. I don't know how <laughs> I did. Uh, you can judge it later. It was excellent. It was excellent. <laughs> Michael Vincent was was Michael Vincent as always. So <laughs> absolutely, no, he's he's always really good. It was entertaining, entertaining conversation sure. uh, last week. Today we're going to talk about non competes. That's a big, big subject. It is a big, big subject. Uh, Omar Singh, founder and president of Surge Transportation, uh, is going to be joining us here in the next few minutes. He has an article on FreightWaves.com about this very subject. So. We're going to dive deeper into that. But first, before we do that, we're coming up on an anniversary, I think. Yeah. Or we're not. But a company is, is coming up on an anniversary, and it is BlackBerry. That's a name that I've not heard in a little while, Kevin. I know. That's like a case study <laughs> in sales and in, in market or product development and marketing and listening to your customers. Um, I don't know if that is a, a case study yet in in, in business schools, but it will be one of these days. I feel like there's a term, and it might be a heavy term to throw out there when I think of BlackBerry. Think about this term called corporate narcissism. <laughs> maybe maybe that's a, an ominous thing to say, but that's, uh, that's what lines up with BlackBerry in my mind. It, it is. And, you know, when, when they were kind of going through that, and I, I think 2011, uh, I worked for a research firm in, in New York, and what we did was we did interviews with former employees, kind of expert interviews, but, but more of getting a flavor of a company. Um, it's been 10 years ago, so I'm sure my NDA has, has <laughs> passed, uh, especially since they're not even in phones anymore. Right. Just security software. But I, I, I talked to a number of former executives at BlackBerry at that time, and corporate narcissism is kind of what they described. It's like, we know what we're doing. We don't need to listen to our customers. Um, the, the iPhone is a toy. No one's going to like it. They don't have the security. Mm-hmm. Everyone will come to us for security. It's a touch screen. No one can do touch screens. And the list goes on and on. And, you know, they were, were based in, in Ontario, Canada. Or they still are. Uh, but that was kind of their world. They were, really weren't entrenched in Silicon Valley. They had one small satellite office. That They kind of ignored the world uh, of their competitors but also of their, their actual customers. It's, I, I can think of very few examples of, uh, in, in the corporate world of what the psychologist Carolyn Dweck calls you know, the fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And this is such a great example of a fixed mindset. Defensive, this is who we are, we're not budging. Uh, and then everything is directed at internally. You know, there is no curiosity about the customer. There's no curiosity mm-hmm. about the evolving marketplace, um, and that is that's a poison pill. It is a poison pill. It, it is a poison pill. It, it, BlackBerry is one of those case studies that they they were the number one leader. They, they were the innovator. Mm-hmm. They were the pioneer out on smartphones. I mean, I remember that was a status symbol. You know, you got a job, you got a BlackBerry, hey, you're making it in America. 
and you I, know? And that was like 15 years ago. I mean, it's not ancient, ancient history, but 15, 20 years ago, yeah. um, that, that, was, that was the status symbol. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, BlackBerry, um, I just had a thought and it, and it erased, it, it, it left me. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's a company that had everything. Ah, direction is more important than position. Yes. Right. And, and that's something that I, I think some people may disagree with me there, but which direction you're moving as a business is way more important than your position in the marketplace at any one point in time. It, it is. See, you're exactly right with that. Uh, I, and I remember doing research. I remember having a BlackBerry too. So you had, you know, where you have Apple fans now or yeah. iPhone fans, mm-hmm. you had BlackBerry fans. You had this, this huge network of people who were on message boards that had groups and communities it was all about BlackBerry, what you can do with your BlackBerry. You're doing all of that. They had this, this intense fandom that just all washed away in really a blink of an eye. Because where's the value, right? I mean, iPhone came in and said, mm-hmm. you can do all those things. Oh, and more. Oh, and it's sleeker. Mm-hmm. Oh, and like there's some, you're not losing anything when you go to an iPhone. And I think you know, Apple was able to just study BlackBerry. I mean, it was it was the perfect program for like, okay, here's what we can take all this functionality, and uh, once we add that to the iPhone, we're good. Yeah, and we have a table <laughs> here of, of market share, and it 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 really, really, kind of, you know, the the, the second slide here, um, yeah, right here, what we have on screen, and when I say a blink of an eye, this was really a blink of an eye. In January of 2010, BlackBerry had 43% of the smartphone platform. So all the smart smartphones out there that had forty three percent, there were there were others, you know, Nokia, uh, Motorola. Mm-hmm. Everyone was kind of doing Windows or BlackBerry uh, before iPhone. In January twenty eleven, thirty point four percent of the market share. January of twenty twelve, fifteen point two percent. By January twenty thirteen, three years, three years they they lost the entire market. Of, of really probably one of the most lucrative markets um, in, the, in the last 20 years is the, the cell phone industry. What happens, if, what happens if they listen to their clients? What happens if they listen to their customers? Is that a still big They name? would have, you know, they were in a great spot. Directionally, though, they were going backwards without knowing. Yep. Without realizing it. It was this narcissism, really, that they knew what was best. They knew what their customers wanted. And it didn't really turn out all that well for for blackberry right um but but yeah you you can see that they knew they knew but but directionally they were going backwards without knowing it and in in hindsight of course it's 2020 it was it was one of the 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 most spectacular failures of a company there is yep yep there's a quote that uh that comes to mind that says it's better to be good than it is to be right it is it is it is so yeah when we talk about directionally and a lot of times, the reason why they couldn't innovate, and you find this, this is a general business rule of, you know, they were the pioneer, but they were the mature company. They're the number one company. Usually the innovation to disrupt, disrupts your entire business model. Mm-hmm. You, you basically, you're going to destroy a, a, a multi, multi, multi billion dollar company. And we're like, oh yeah, we got to scrap everything what we're doing <laughs> and go somewhere else. And that's a very tough decision to do, especially if you're a public company. Uh, but even if you're a private company, I mean, that's risky. It seems risky, right? It always seems risky, but if you look at the results, it wasn't very risky 
at all. Right. I mean, how risky is it? Because like I mean, we've talked about it before, the most dangerous phrase in business is this is the way things have always been done. It is the, the <laughs> most. That, that, that is. If, if we go to the next uh, chart, which is the, the stock chart from, from Yahoo Finance, and we, we can kind of see this. I mean, play out. I mean, you're talking about, and I forgot to clip the, the, the prices off of here, but at its high, it's about $182 a share. It's about $8 a share now. And you can see over those three years, it crashed. And it's, it's been a very nice, steady stock, which you never want to be a nice, steady stock. <laughs> um, and they have about a $5 billion valuation. Uh, but they, they announced that they are pivoting to exclusively security software. They are completely out of the iPhone, or not iPhone. The smartphone. That, that's how bad it is, right? The iPhone market. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, this, the, the, the telephone market completely out but they're not out of the game right and that's what this shows is there they're you know who knows this could might not be the end of the blackberry story you know in, in no. another five or ten years they could rebound and that they could and some of their security software you find in transportation logistics kind of the eld um uh, you know what, what's transmitted wire wirelessly that they sell into the transportation and logistics business but but right now you know right now is the perfect time for for real innovation to, mm -hmm. to to come in, you know, and you saw that with Apple as well. Apple was was a superstar, then went to a dog, right? And mm -hmm. Steve Jobs came back in, and you have the uh, iPod, yeah, you know, the iPhone, the iPad, and <laughs> it's it completely transformed the company, which is a, a, the the most amazing second act probably in in business history. It's not the norm; it is a, a special case, but uh, BlackBerry. Has that has that uh, has that opportunity now to to really innovate and go dominate another niche mm -hmm. in security and software somehow, um, and it's probably easier to take those risky positions now um, than it was whenever you're number one, you're top dog, you thought you think you have it all figured out, your security is the greatest, no one wants to do a touch tone phone or touch pad, yep. you know the the keyboard, and I I'll admit I was a huge BlackBerry BlackBerry fan. I still kind of am because I do like the keyboard. <laughs> right. I, I like having a keyboard. It's easier to type. I, I've never really learned how to efficiently type on an iPhone. Yep. Yeah. They've gotten better. But yeah, I, I see your point. And it'll be interesting to see what the future holds. It will. It will be very interesting to see what happens going forward. And um, But it's just an interesting business uh, case study. And it teaches you a lot about sales. Yep. It's, it's like the iteration. You have to go out and talk to your customers and see what they want to buy. Well, see what their needs are and design something around that. I think that's a reoccurring theme in this conversation today, especially as we get into non-competes, is mm -hmm. who's the hero of the story? You know, who's the hero of the business story? Is it the company? Is it the employee? Is it the customer? And uh, I, I think there's a lot of different ways. It's easy to give lip service, but I think your your actions bear your true values. And... Um, you know, when you're focused on your customer, a lot of these things that we're talking about kind of naturally crystallize in an organic way. They do. They do. And perfect segue in to our guest here on Put That Coffee Down today, Omar Singh, president and CEO, or founder and president and probably CEO of Surge Transportation. How are you doing today, Omar? Hey, guys. Good to be back on the show. Nice to see you. Hey, it's I'm always great. great to see you. <clears throat> It's always great yep. to see you. Let's dive into it. Let's let's get to the the, the meat and bones of your article on FreightWaves.com. Don't compete with non-competes. What 
what was the genesis of this idea? What made you want to, to write this article? You know, I think a lot of it sort of has been buzzing around lately in terms of people being offended after some of the large brokerages did did big layoffs, you know, across hundreds of people and and didn't let them work. And people people have really been speaking out against that, I think, ever since then. I don't think customers like to see it. I don't think, obviously, employees like to experience it, you know, and I thought it was just kind of time to put our own two cents in and, and, and one, you know, as an employer say, we don't, we don't practice that, but also, you know, I experienced them. Luckily, you know, my story of kind of going out of business and coming back, I always had a schedule A as I had legacy accounts from my trucking company days. And when I got into brokerage, those were protected accounts. And I thought that was a sort of fair and reasonable way of doing business for people to say, if you, if you have business that belongs to you, you should be able to keep that. But maybe while we're together, if we develop anything that is new, then that can be protected. And that that always made sense to me. And that's always how I've treated people who join our organization to say, if you have something that already belongs to you, then that that is yours. Let's document it and let's make sure you're recognized for it. Because at any time you may just decide to switch gears and you should be allowed to, you know, and, and, and hopefully we'll even be happy for you to go out and be able to, you know, make better decisions for you know your career. So and support you in that. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. And, you know, it's I, like I was talking with Kevin here just a minute ago, and I, I'm the ultimate idealist, you know, and, and maybe to a fault sometimes. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I like to think that if you have commonality if, and, and it's all about right relationships, right, the, the right relationship between the company and the employee and the right relationship between the company and the employee and with the customer. Right. And I think that when there is cohesiveness and there's a focus on driving driving value to the customer, it's a little more natural to sort out some of these, um, you know, issues, if you will, or or, or documentation of of what you're bringing and what we're developing and so forth. Um, But just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Omar, about, you know, do, do you see companies that have a very obvious focus on the customer having a different approach to non-competes versus companies that are kind of similar to BlackBerry, like a little mm-hmm. bit more inwardly focused of like defensiveness, maybe their, their approach would be different. And I'm curious to get your thoughts there. Yeah. I mean, I think it can be both. I mean, in the sense that sometimes, you know, take maybe a, um, a classic agent model where agents bring in business. They're also, they're outside sales, they're inside sales, they're ops, they're cradle to grave. Um, where I think, a lot more credit is due for, uh, you know, the creation of that relationship and, and the building of that kind of book of business. Whereas maybe in other companies, kind of the outside sales, they, you know, they do their thing. They, they go and they hunt and they bring in the relationships and they hand it off to somebody else. And I think generally when there's that kind of handoff that wasn't um, created by the people who are working on it, those companies are oriented around protection a lot more because they want to kind of be recognized for the people who created that, uh, um, you know, relationship to begin with and kind of handed it off to somebody who didn't have it there. So I think in my experience, I've seen, I've seen those kind of scenarios be treated with a lot more protection to say, I'm going to, I'm going to give this to you, but I need you to recognize that I gave it to you rather than if you go out and create it, um, you know, on your own, then I think there's, way less of a case to be made for saying, you know, that actually belongs to the company. 
And so. is, is a lot of this, so, so we talk about non-competes. I, I think everyone kind of confuses that with non-solicits. I mean, those are, are two separate things. Now, non-competes, you, you find, you know, you hire somebody in there, they're 20, 23, 24, 25, uh, or they, they could be 35 or 45, kind of new to the industry. They don't really make the, the, the sales quota they need, that they're not performing. Um, and the non-solicitation on that part, I, I completely understand, you know, the, 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 the customers that you're touching, but a non-compete and keeping them out of an industry seems a, a little harsh. Yeah, it's not fair. Like I say, it's not fair and it's not reasonable, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of companies, in my experience from hiring, you know, many people, um, a lot of uh, prospective employees or people who are, you know, looking for jobs are are not even aware really of what they've signed because their employer does not go through it with them. I think we should sit down and say, look, this is the non-disclosure section of the agreement. This is what it means. This is the non-solicitation section of the agreement regarding employees, then this is what it means. This is the, you know, the non-solicitation regarding customers. This is what it means. And, and we don't have one, so I have never been able to, and this is the non-compete saying you can't work. And in a lot of people just don't even understand what they're signing. It's just fine print. And then they sign the contract. They never get a, you know, countersigned copy back. Mm-hmm. And they go, I don't even know what's out there. I don't know what I signed. And then they're afraid to ask because if they ask, they get in trouble for asking. So yeah. it's really just, I think, way out of balance the way that, you know, the, the talent pool is treated in that respect. That's always showing your hand whenever you have to reach out to HR and say, well, can I review my non-compete, non-solicit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're, you're kind of screwed at that point. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, they're going to start preparing to, yeah. to move business away from you. So, Omar, what yeah. would what's your advice to somebody? Let's say there's uh, an individual that's, either new to the, the transportation industry or, you know, out of college, and this might be their, their first job or their first career, and they're excited, right? And they are giddy to get a job, and now they have a contract, and they've been doing this big job hunt for months and months, and they finally land something where they have a deal that they can sign, and they're just so excited. And to your point, they could be rushing through and signing and not understanding what they're signing. What advice do you have to somebody in that position uh, that might help them with getting into a situation like that on down the road? Well, I think that right now, probably, you know, hopefully they would be informed enough to know that with great resignation, I mean, talented, you know, logistician or people who want to get into this business are in really high demand. And I, and I think that it's completely legitimate to just do at least enough market research when evaluating whoever, you, you know, you're going to take your first job with or second job to to, you know, in the interview, not just have them ask you questions, but you ask them questions. You know, do they use uh, or enforce, not enforce, do they require us to sign a non-compete? What does it really mean? How restrictive are they? And essentially say no, because I, I, I think the industry really has a reputation for uh, thinking that most brokerages have the, the restriction level that says you can't work in this industry. And I really don't think it's most. I mean, a lot of them do, but any talented person can go to a company that only has the non-solicit part. Um, and, and so if people are informed, it's hard your first job out of college being informed about these things, um, you know, before you get your kind of your hands tied and start building a career around restrictions that you can't make portable. But um, yeah, ask the questions. What, what happens if things don't work out? I mean, what happens a young person, you know, they get married, they have families, they move. 
you know, like that's that's the normal part of of life forever, not to mention in your 20s. So most people don't stay on their first job for more than a couple of years just on account of relocation, you know. That's a great so, point. It really is a great point and a great question to ask during an interview. If, 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 it's, if you're first foray, if you don't really have any logistics experience, your first job out of college, something like that, that's a great way to ask, you know, what, what happens if it doesn't work out? You know, am I banned from working in the industry? Do I have to sign anything? What do I need to do? Because uh, I, I think that's a very fair question. As you said, um, you know, a lot of freight brokers don't work out. Uh, you know, a couple of years is a long time. And then you, you're, you're stuck with something if you move across the country or, or, or what have you. Yeah, or, you know, it's a cyclical business too. A lot of brokers are so... Mm-hmm big that, you know, large accounts get broken up into many offices and sometimes that's not successful or transportation managers change. And then so you kind of lose that business and, you know, there could be safety rating things that go on. And, and sometimes it just makes more sense to make a move. It's not always, I think, about, you know, getting a couple of percentage points more in commission. Sometimes it's just this industry moves so much between managers and demand and, you know, the ups and downs of the market that it's just lends to kind of moving around from time to time to accommodate whatever market changes are there and life changes, you know, so. There are certainly life changes. Um, I, so I guess really the, the question is, where, where do you see the industry going with non-compete? So in, in five years from now, do you think uh, this is going to be a topic like a, you think, you think non-competes are changing right now? I think that they are. I mean, I think a lot of stuff with just between not just regular social media, but business social media like LinkedIn, people speaking out after, you know, these hundreds of layoffs recently by some of the large brokerages. And, you know, I think there are kind of new and younger growing brokerages that are are building their business like we are on on advertising to people that, you know, we're not going to do this and we don't support this practice. And and I know I'm not the only one, and I might not even be the most vocal, you know, in 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 this right now. And I think that it's really kind of getting out there for even young logisticians to know to ask, you know, how restrictive are these things? Because I don't want to join a company that's going to try to stop me from, you know, growing down the road. And I think, you know, I've even seen um, shipper customers don't like it. They don't like to know that. You know, some young person who's come in and really done a good job building a relationship and a service level that, you know, they want to be able to, you know, continue working with isn't allowed to. They don't, you know, it's not it's not appealing to shippers. It's not appealing to logisticians. I just um, I see it going away. You know, I, I, I really do. And and in, for the most part, the worst part is they're not enforceable in so many places, but you know, somebody who's changing jobs doesn't want to spend 25 or however many thousands of dollars defending themselves. So, so they're afraid, but, um, but I think they're just the pressure to stop the practice is, is really great right now. And I, and I hope it stays that way. So I, I do too. I, I agree with that. Thank you so much. Uh, we're running short on time, Omar, but it's always a pleasure uh, having you on the show, and you can go to Surge Transportation and learn more about what jobs are available uh, there. Uh, thanks uh, again. Always a pleasure. We'll have you on very soon again. All right, guys. See you later. Good to see you. You bet. Good to see you too. So, Richie, non-competes. Fascinating because you know when I hear Omar say, you know, the the shippers aren't winning, 
with non-competes. Mm-hmm. The employees aren't winning with non-competes. So who does that leave that's winning with a non-compete? You know, it, it's it's that defensive, I want to hold what's mine, and, and it's uh, it becomes a bit of a flaw. It's, it's getting it, back it, to that fixed mindset a little bit. It is. It's that fixed mindset. And, and if everyone, when, if non-competes went away, then you could hire people. You're going to lose people, but you can hire people. It would be all about how you treat people, mm-hmm. how your incentives are based. And I, I think a lot of companies don't really want to, to compete on that. They would rather compete on, on getting something and holding it, and hopefully no iPhones come out that just destroy your market share. Uh, but as we see in business, that always happens. You get to a certain part in growth, and you just want to hold on, and, and that can be a problem. It, it really can. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks everybody, for tuning in to this Put That Coffee Down. You can go on LinkedIn, Kevin Hill, Richie Jagel. Find us, comment, contact us. Uh, we'll be back next week, 12 p.m. noon Eastern time every Tuesday. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive to win these expensive. I got expensive to win these.